Hello, everybody. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Final Third Podcast. Today, we're talking a lot about the Euros, uh, as well as some player transfers as well. We also do talk about the Christian Eriksen cardiac arrest incident that happened in the game between Denmark and Finland. We go in depth about what happened. So if you're not comfortable hearing about that story or us talking about any related topics to that, this is just a fair warning. Just thought I, I'd get it out there. We are going to talk about that story. But as always, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. Leave a rating as well. We've gotten some great growth. A, a lot of Twitter followers as well. So we're really happy about that. Thank you so much for supporting us. And let's get on to the show. Hello and welcome back to the Final Third Podcast, the internet's number one soccer variety podcast. I, as always, am AJ Tabura. I'll, I'll say my national teams that I'll support first because this is uh, the summer. I support the U.S. men's national team, Minnesota United, and West Ham United. And as always, I am joined by Jack. Jack, who do you support and how are you feeling? Uh, well, I support France, Slovakia, Minnesota United, uh, Chelsea, and Atalanta. And, you know, I'm feeling great because it's the Euros and we get to watch international soccer, which personally, I'm a little, I, I'm a little bit more fond of soccer at the international yeah. level than club level because it, it's cool to see all these players coming together and, uh, and cool to see, you know, I feel like you can kind, kind of get more underdog stories in these in these kinds of scenarios where you have one-off tournaments rather than full seasons. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's also kind of nice because w- when we're in the club season, I definitely felt this when we were starting off the podcast. There's just a lot of stuff that happens in the club season. And it's so easy to get like bogged down with like every single game. Like you can't, you literally cannot watch every single club level game, but you can do that with the Euros and Copa America. So it's nice to have like, here are just three games that you need to watch in order to get all of the Euros. And that's, that's just nice. And, you know, I I said, we are a variety show at the same time. We are going to be talking a lot of the Euros, what's been happening there. A lot of, uh, some European club teams uh, just until the MLS season and we get some more World Cup qualifier news and the different regions out of the way. But Jack, why don't you say we get started with uh, the first news story? Well, let I, I think you might have forgotten something. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram ah. at Final Third Show. You got to You got to plug the Twitter. I, I got I to plug to it. it. And well, you know, to be honest, if, if you guys aren't following us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show, you get you're missing out like you literally are missing out. We have been tweeting a lot about the Euros, the Copa America coming up, as well as stuff about the U.S. men's national team. So, de- yeah, Jack is right on the nose there. Definitely follow us. Let's get on to the newsroom, which is where we talk about some really, really big stories going off in the soccer world. And we're starting off with. Probably the the story that's been the biggest story in this past week, and that would be Christian Eriksen. And I'm sure everybody kind of knows what's going on here, but just to give a little recap for what we know right now, it's really important to know that we are recording this uh, mid-afternoon Central Time on Sunday. We might get some more news about his condition. Uh, I might be able to edit that in. I might not be able to, but this is what we know. 
at this time, right now, what happened. In the 43rd minute in the match between Denmark and Finland, Inter Milan and Danish national team player Christian Eriksen suffered cardiac arrest, collapsing on the ground as he was jogging. Immediately afterwards, referee Anthony Taylor paused the match and called medics over, and Danish captain Simon Kier was the first to take action, holding his tongue so he wouldn't swallow it, and conducting CPR. The medics acted quickly, continuing the CPR, and eventually used the AED on him. And for a little bit of time, according to the Danish doctors, Christian Eriksen was gone from us. The Danish players forward a, a blockade around the medics and Eriksen to give the medical workers and him some privacy as they tried to save him. And for like eight or ten terrifying minutes, the footballing world just stood still, hoping that he would be okay. Eventually, they were able to bring him back, and they got him at a stable enough condition to cart him off to get him to a hospital. He was able to talk to his teammates and urge them to play on, and after 90 minutes since the match's suspension, Denmark and Finland kicked off once more at the request of the players, ending in a 1-0 Finland victory. He had no previous history of heart problems. There's a chance he won't be able to play again, at least at the level that he was playing at. But at the end of the day, we are just glad that he is alive. Really glad to see that he is at least responsive, speaking, breathing, conscious. That's great to hear. Uh, Jack, from the get-go, I know you were proctoring an ACT exam during yeah. this time. But, I, I, you know, I, I bet, like, coming out of that and hearing all this, that had to be scary to get, like, all that information all at once. So what do you think of how the situation played out and how the medics and the team dealt with this issue well i of course like uh the, the medical staff has to be commended for this because they handled it very well like Im that immediate response was key oh, to that yeah. sort of stuff i was actually uh, at a grad party literally an hour ago and uh, i was talking to someone who is actually a sports uh medicine uh professional oh, wow. and uh he he was like yeah if if they had waited much longer it could have been even worse and uh you know he like it, it I mean, it, and that's absolutely true, you know, like it, it could have been very, very, very bad. Yeah. And, but the, the thing that's worse, the worst about this, I think, uh, or one of the worst things about it, uh, is the fact that after I missed it live because I was proctoring an ACT exam, the fact that I was able to watch it again is kind of disturbing because the media, we, I feel like we have to talk about this, how they handled mm -hmm. it. They handled it poorly. They, they, they really did They you, you should not be showing that right. Like, uh, for, for the rest of it. And the other, th uh, you, you shouldn't be trying to zoom in on what's happening there. And like, uh, you should give them privacy and because that, that kind of thing can be traumatizing and really, yeah. really problematic. And, uh, zooming in on his wife too, who was, who, who thought he was dead, uh, apparently according to Casper Schmeichel. Uh, who 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 was comforting her? Uh, you know, like they zoomed in on her crying. That that's so messed up. You that that is not how the media should have conducted themselves in that. And like uh, the the Danish media, to their credit, were really good about it. They they literally cut away as soon as it happened. They they cut away, showed an aerial view of the stadium instead. Yeah. And uh and uh you know the BBC though they kept it on. And that's really problematic because you there's people there's thousands millions of people watching this, right? 
And having to see that is something that's going to be just really bad. And given and given given that, I I have a question for you to ha- to continue this conversation. Yeah. What do you think about UEFA's response to giving the um, Danish players the option to play, you know, later that night or or, or later in the afternoon for us, or to play it tomorrow more or today basically for us on Sunday. So what what do you think about that? Was that the right call or should they have done more? It was really tough. And I talked about this on Twitter, how we need to wait until we like know all the information to like really come to a consensus. Because the first thing that we heard was, oh, that will the players agree to it? And then mm-hmm. we heard that the only options were noon the next day or later on in the evening for them. And that changed the context entirely. And then we heard that Christian Eriksen actually told them to continue to play. And that changed the context entirely again. And then they started playing. And then you saw Kasper Schmeichel. You saw his Danish teammates just completely distraught. Even while they were warming up, they were still crying. They were still visibly shaken. Kasper Schmeichel, even afterwards, was like, it's insane that we were given these two choices and that was it. Now that we know all this information, I can confidently say that this was not a great way of handling it. Uh, these two options, either the next day or later that day, is bad. And to be honest, there aren't a lot of great options because it's, if you delay the game, then you're putting players' health at risk by congesting their match fixtures after a season of that. But I think, in my opinion, and... I am not an expert at all about how to fairly handle things because when you're dealing with this much trauma in one room with these two different teams and the trauma of handling this Christian Eriksen uh, situation from his side, his family side, and the player and staff side, it's really hard to find a happy medium. But if it, it were me, I would suggest, you know, th- some things are bigger than football call the game there, say it's a 0-0 draw, and move on from there because the playing it like right afterwards, I, I, I've read a lot of psychologists talk about it, a lot of trauma psychiatrists, psychiatrists, and they've always said, don't give decision-making powers to people who are newly traumatized because their brains are not in the right place to make those decisions. Right. And... I, I I just think it was a bad idea. Do, do you have anything else to add there? No, I th- I think I, I agree with you. I, I don't think this was the right choice. And, uh, you, you know, you, you saw it as well. Like it, it produced like, I, I think arguably like a worse match at, at the oh, end of yeah. the day. Like the, the match wasn't played with the same intensity. And even like, you know, something as historic as Finland getting their first win in an international tournament, that doesn't really, it feels hollow. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it, it does. It doesn't have the kind of significance that, you know, you would associate with a moment like that. Right. And yeah, I, I mean, it, it was it, it, it was just I, I feel like there, there were a lot of things that were done really well. The medical staff, the players right. on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we saw our own uh, Minnesota's Robin Ludd, uh, even the first Finland player motioning to get yep. the medics on. Uh, I, I feel bad for him because that's got to be terrifying to see happen in front of you mm-hmm. because he he was actually uh, i'm not sure if you saw he was the one marking christian erickson when yeah. he was going for the throw-in like to have that happen right next to you that that's 
I it, it's incredible that these players have dealt with it so far. You know, the Danish team said that they mm-hmm. they're giving uh, mental health support and trauma support to their players and staff, which is great. But uh, you know, the the media really has to do better right. in these kinds of scenarios. They really do. They're and I I I'm you you can you can give me hate for this or give me praise for it, but it's always the English media. It always is that does this kind of stuff. They always are the ones that seem to make it worse and do things that you should not do. Uh, you know, that, that sports medicine uh, guy that I was talking to at this, at this grad party, he, he was even like, yeah, in, in any case, you, it's just common sense that the camera should cut away from it. Yeah. I, I think we, I, I think everyone is united in saying we, we hope that Christian Erickson is able to get back out on the field and may, maybe he won't be playing at the same level as before, but you know, it, it just seeing him healthy again is yes. going to be good. Yeah. To that point, I am going to, at least in the show notes and you know, we've been tweeting this and retweeting stuff. Uh, there are some resources about CPR training. I think Jack and I, we've gone right. through CPR training. I have, ourselves. Yeah. Uh, yep. CPR certified and everything. That's always really important, especially in the context of uh, soccer games, soccer practices. Uh, The U.S. Soccer Federation has a great video about what to do in case of cardiac arrest when you're coaching or when you're on a team. I'll link that video as well, as well as some petitions working to get defibrillators in every stadium that the, the Football Association controls in England and if I can find one that's more America specific, I'll also post that. That's always really important. That's one of the main reasons why Christian Erickson is still with us today. And that's really important to have that infrastructure in case cardiac arrest occurs. Thank you to the medical staff. Again, great work by everyone involved other than the, the bureaucrats who kind of mess stuff up. But let's go on to uh, s- some more news in Europe. And that is some player transfers. So the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on some coaches moving and we'll get back to that because there have been a lot of coaches moving, but I thought we'd take some time to talk about some uh, five rumors, some player rumors that have been going around, just quickly talking about whether we think it's a good move on the players and the team's part. I'm going to hand it to Jack first because these two transfers are pretty exciting if you're a Chelsea fan. It's weird that there's, yes, they there, are. <laughs> there's been a lot of like players going to Chelsea news. Like, more than any other club and I, I know like you can call us biased because jack is a chelsea fan so like oh why are you talking about chelsea so much no this is literally huge news we have erling holland to chelsea atraf hakimi to chelsea potentially and uh, less than both of these but I, i've heard some lukaku to chelsea but holland and hakimi have been the big names jack how do you feel about those those insanely big names being linked to your club yeah well i mean if you win the Champions League and yeah. you're the champions of Europe, you're, you're going to attract some good talent. And, uh, you know, I'll start with Erling Holland to Chelsea. Like, you know, that 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 would be huge if that happens. Do I think it would happen? Maybe. I, I think if anyone in the in the in the like soccer football world is able to pay uh, for Holland, it, it would probably be Chelsea and Roman Abramovich. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I mean, and plus they, they got, what was it, 100 million from winning the Champions League? So, yeah. I mean, they, they could probably fund the transfer just from that. And I, 
I would love to see that happen. I would absolutely love to see it happen because, you know, he's like a generational talent. Uh, and if he can get to get to Chelsea, then perfect. That, that, that sets up, that sets up a good title challenge because all Chelsea really need is a top goal scorer. And, you know, if, if the rumors about Thomas Tuchel's formations playing like a four two four is true, having two strikers up top with Werner returning to his preferred position of being a left striker could really work out. Yeah. So it could, it could be, it could be really good. That being said, I think if, if like, you know, uh, Dortmund, uh, there, there's another one that we'll talk about later. I'll, I might, I'll spoil that a little bit. Sancho to Man United. If that happens, I think that, I, I think that it'll be tough to get Holland to like yeah. go to, to Chelsea because you're telling Dortmund, Hey, uh, you're losing all of your best talent right away. And then, yeah, that, I, I have a feeling that, uh, that might not be allowed to fly, but we'll see about it. But, uh, moving on to Hakimi to Chelsea, this one, I'm not so sure about, uh, really? Yeah, and I I know you put him in your best eleven for the yep. season, and I know he's good because I watched him at Dortmund, uh, not last season, two seasons ago now. Uh, but the thing is, Chelsea already have a very good player who can play in that position and who should get time to develop, and that's Reese James. Yeah, he he was great during the Champions League final. He was great during the entire season. You know, he he created a ton of chances. He was really good defensively. And, you know, like, do you really want to, like, uh, relegate him to a, a system player rather than, like, a, a player, as you know he can be, like, a, a really big player? And that that's my concern with this, because you can stick him at right center back if you play a three at the back, sure. Mm-hmm. But then he wasn't as good when he played at right center back when, when I watched him, and it was clear, clearly better that Azpilicueta was better suited to that role. So I'm, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that being, like, the best move for Chelsea, both from like the fact that he's like 80 million. Right. And if you're getting Holland and Hakimi, that is a lot of money to be spending on two players. And also it could hamper the development of one of our brightest prospects really. Mm -hmm. And we already saw that happen with, I, I I know like I I like the U S you like the U S Pulisic coming to Chelsea. It really, it kind of hurt Hudson Adoy and his, and his ability to develop. So, I don't want to. I don't want to see more of those talents get wasted. You know that. That's that's what I'm. That's what I'm concerned about. Uh, but you know, if if it does happen, he'd be a great addition. But he I'm just, I'm just so I'm just concerned about like uh, about those kinds of things because I you know Chelsea has a habit of doing this to these <laughs> players that have so much yeah. promise. Where where they're like where they just look at the next shiny object and then they're like ah. We don't need the youth player. And then the youth player ends up being amazing, like Kevin De Bruyne or Mo Salah, who were oh, both young yeah. players that Chelsea had. Like, I, I don't want to see that keep happening. So that that that's my thought on that. I've I've spent enough time on it talking about Chelsea transfers though. AJ, do you wanna do you wanna talk about the uh these other uh transfers and say anything else about Holland and Hakimi? Uh yeah. I mean, obviously if you have the chance to sign Holland, take it. Hakimi is a bit hard because, yeah, you mentioned he is going to be very, very expensive. And that money, that 80 million euros, you could spend on other areas of need. Like you like could, a center back? Yeah, you could use that to buy a center back. You could use that to fund a transfer for Holland, you know, whatever the case is. And you know, like you said, when you have a logjam of talent, at some point when you do that, you're going to eventually start to devalue your youth prospects and you're not going to get as much money as you can get for them because 
you aren't playing them. Like Tammy Abraham, you could have sold him for so much money before. Now that he's kind of been frozen out, his value is kind of plummeted in the last half season. So if you keep on doing that, it's not a really sustainable uh, kind of economic model that you're running. So that's what I think about that. But I do also want to talk about Jaden Sancho to Manchester United. This out of all five of these, well, except for the next one we're going to talk, is probably one of the more likely ones to happen. Jaden Sancho, the English international currently at Borussia Dortmund, is getting pursued by Manchester United. Dortmund are asking for about 95 million euros, and it seems like Sancho is open to the move and personal terms have been agreed to. It just comes down to Dortmund and United coming up with a transfer agreement. But the big kind of difference between the two sides right now is payment terms. Dortmund want the payment terms to be more uh, condensed, so it'll be, say, over two years instead of what United wants, which is like five years. They want the money sooner rather than later. And, you know, the way I see this, obviously this is going to be huge for the Premier League, huge for Manchester United to get better attackers than the ones they have now. Like pairing him and Rashford, I think that would be absolutely insane. Put in Fernandez in between them. That's going to be a, a great move for them. And obviously for Dortmund, losing another youth player is always going to suck. And if that does happen, like Jack was saying before, if they have the prospect of losing Holland and Sancho, I think they're going to keep one. And I think Holland's the one that stays, and I think Sancho is going to be the one that leaves. And that's going to hamper Dortmund a lot. That's kind of like the run of the mill thing that happens over there. So you can't really get too mad. But Jack, I have a quick question for you. Does mm -hmm. Sancho moving to United potentially make them contenders going from second place this season to maybe challenging the likes of City next season? No. And uh, the reason why is because they, they're, they're building in the wrong areas. They, they, they really are. They need to shore up that midfield because they have the McFred pivot right now. Uh, Scott McTominay and Fred, which does not work out very well. It leaves them really vulnerable in transition. And also, finding a center-back partner for Maguire, because Lindelof, mm -hmm. uh, Tuanzebe, uh, Bailly, none of them have really impressed next to him. So they, they need to find a solid center-back pairing behind him. So I'm not sure if, the, if that's the kind of move. And also, uh, Ed Woodward, transfer genius, seem, seems like he might mess this up because... He refuses to go above 70 million, it seems, yeah. for a bid, and Dortmund want 95 million. I, I don't know. I, may, maybe it happens, but if, if Edward Ward does his Edward Ward things, as always, I, I don't know. But I, I'm, I'm not convinced this is the right building thing for United to do, uh, to like become a title challenger, because your good attack means nothing if your defense is garbage. That might Very. be a bit harsh on them. That might be a bit harsh on them, but it's no, kind of I mean, true. You are you are completely correct there. I I think that that's been the kind of consensus within Red Devils fans for quite a while now. Let's go on to another potential big player going on to a big team. This is Donnarumma to PSG. Donnarumma, the 22-year-old Italian and AC Milan goalkeeper, he's moving to PSG until 2026. This has been confirmed by uh, Fabrizio Romano getting the, the here we go from him. And he's not going on loan once he gets there. He's going to stay there. 
and compete with Kaylor Navas for the number one spot. And he's been playing in the top flight since he was 16 for AC Milan. And this is his first real big money move. Uh, AC Milan fans, I bet, are going to curse at him because, you know, he hasn't left on the best of terms. He is he is leaving on a. Uh, on let's say some some icy terms within him and the fan base so that's one thing but it's another thing that he's going to psg a very big money club competing with for my money and i've said this a million times before the best goalkeeper in europe currently this is kind of a logjam of goalkeepers they have if i remember correctly they have like five goalkeepers on contract right now not to mention that Ariola, previously on loan to Fulham, is coming back. Jack, what do they do with their goalkeeper situation? Should they actually sell or loan out one of their goalkeepers? And which one would that have to be? Well, they're obviously going to loan out Ariola again. There, there, there's no way he's competing for the number one spot because he got relegated with Fulham while making good saves. But at the same time, no, he, he, he's, he's getting sent out on loan to probably another newly promoted Premier League club or something to try and keep them up this time. Okay. Uh, but I, 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 think, I think it's weird because you're right. Kalu Navas, I don't think he's the best goalkeeper in Europe, but Ooh. he is a very, good, yeah, he yeah, is a yeah. very good goalkeeper. And, you know, it, is he getting up there in age? Maybe a little, but not that old, if I, right? Like, it, correct me if I'm wrong. In goalkeeper terms, like, you can be... Yeah, yeah right? Like, Buffon has Buffon. showed us that you could be, like, 45 and still he's pro- saves. And he's probably going to Parma, so he, he's yeah, probably exactly. still going to play. He, he's 34, so maybe PSG are, are thinking for the future, and, like, Donnarumma is their, is their future goalkeeper, and maybe this season is kind of a transition uh, phase for for um for them, you know? because Or... Maybe maybe it's over for Kaylor Navas. What I I'm not sure. So sad. But I I think no matter what, the two that are staying there are Donnarumma and Navas. It, Areola's either going to be sold or loaned out. Uh, I I don't know. I I think I think Donnarumma deserves a shot at the number one shirt this season. So that will be an interesting narrative to look at over in the French capital. Let's go on to our last story in the newsroom, though. And there's not much to really say about this, but it's the Super League punishments. We have some of the punishments for the nine uh, Super League teams that have uh, revoked their membership to the European Super League. Jack, have you been paying attention to this story at all? Do you know like exactly the, the numbers here? Uh, I, I, think, I think I remember them. You can correct me if I'm wrong, yeah, sure. but... Uh... The six clubs are paying a combined twenty million or thirty million fine. Twenty million dollars uh, in well, euros, yeah. Right, twenty million euro fine, uh, and uh, are going to take a, a little bit uh, of their earnings are going to be cut down. I think too from these competitions, they're yep. going to get a little bit less, uh, and then uh, th- that's for the Premier League clubs at least, uh, as far as I know. Yep. That's what the Premier League is specifically doing. Actually, the nine ESL clubs that have left will forfeit 5% of their European revenue to uh, UEFA. And, well, in Arsenal's case, I guess that doesn't really count for them, but that that is their punishment. And we have news that the punishment would increase if they decide to do another breakaway league and any foreign player slash managers who would participate in another breakaway league, at least for the Premier League, would have their work permits revoked. 
Jack, right off the bat, those are the punishments. Is that enough to a keep this from happening, or just like for for retributive justice? Is that just enough for you to feel good about the situation? I think I think it sounds really light. the the yeah. twenty million The twenty million euro fine especially sounds light. That's but three point five. We've done all like all six teams. Right, three three point five million each. I mean, that that that's barely a dent for some of these clubs. For clubs like you know, uh, Liverpool, United, Tottenham, and Arsenal, it's it it's a little bit more of a. It hurts them a little bit more because a lot of them are in debt, but uh, still not not that much. But the thing that I th- you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but as as, as well as the work permits being revoked. If they leave again, they have to pay by themselves a 30 million uh, uh-huh. euro or pound fine. And I believe they're, they will be banned and kicked out of the Premier League. I, if, if that, I think that's what I heard from the, from the Premier League announcement. I, I do not know about that first fact, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that they will be kicked out. I, I think that that is something that, that uh, the, the FA officials have been pretty, uh, pretty steadfast in their their decision-making process like that is what they will do yeah i mean i i think i think that that part is the biggest part you know i i think that is what is is good and oh, oh and um sorry it was it wasn't uh necessarily kicked out of the premier league but a 30 point deduction <laughs> to each of the clubs and this season that would have seen uh arsenal Tottenham, and chelsea relegated i i, I believe it would have it, actually, that would have been fun. Actually, it would have been Arsenal, Tottenham, and Sheffield United. Still, I, I, I yeah, Sheffield oh, United are, would still have gone down. <laughs> but, uh, it, yeah, I mean that that would have been, yeah, I mean a thirty point deduction would be huge for for these clubs. Like if that happens again, I think that is enough of a of a deterrent, you know, to to do that from from them doing this again. That's the big part. Like the the. And it's a 35 million uh, euro fine. I, I, I found the news okay. story. That is that that is pretty sizable. Like it, it's for for clubs with better financial stuff or other methods of getting money. Cough, cough, Man City. It, it's not going to it's not going to mean a lot. But for for a lot of them, you know, that's a pretty sizable deterrent. And I, I think that's good i wish there was a little bit more of of a fine out front for this because you know there there, there's what uh last season uh wigan went into Mm -hmm. administration right because their finances were terrible and they got hit with a 12 point deduction for just having an owner who didn't care about the club I mean, you could say, oh, yeah, they the, uh, like these these teams, they had owners that didn't care about the club. But that means they sh- still should have probably gotten a point deduction. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how severe it should have been, because obviously, like the Premier League is thinking, oh, we can't punish them too much because they're they're uh, That's what gives us money. And that's the only thing that really protects them in this. Ooh, yeah. yeah, of course, it's money. Uh, so, you know, I, I think. And I know this would have this would have hurt Chelsea, and I know it would have given West Ham and Leicester spots in the Champions League. Yeah. But I think that they they all should have gotten hit with like a ten to fifteen point deduction. Honestly, like I I think they should have. I don't think they deserved to to get off this easily. Yeah, I mean I I'm right there with you. 
I was hoping for a point deduction. I was also hoping for them to get banned from the Champions League or any European competition. Obviously, yeah. that didn't happen. That that wouldn't happen given what happened with Man City yeah. last year. Yeah. That, that is, that is yeah. always said when we were talking about that. Yeah, there's that precedent. But when you look at this fine, it's like, yes, obviously, if they do it again, they're going to get hit so hard. But the fact that they did this, that they literally put European football on the like an on an existential uh, uh on the brink of of just blowing up completely and they get hit with a 3.5 million dollar like that's that's insane to me that that level of of atrocity got met with that level of punishment when you have teams like Bolton close to liquidation you have QPR getting hit with like a 45 million euro fine for having bad owners we get athletic like you mentioned like it's just it just doesn't make sense when you look at the level of atrocity that these different teams committed compared to the super league and that's why i'll I'll leave it there hopefully we get some more news about this but i we are both in agreement that that's that's kind of dumb and kind of sets a bad precedent uh for the future in case this happens again that maybe there's a chance that they can get off scot-free or easier than what uefa is posturing all right so this is our news in 90 section we're trying to go through as many stories as possible jack are you ready whenever you're ready and you start i will begin the timer and i will let you know when 90 seconds has been reached all right well let's get on to it so england won the opening game at the euros for the first time ever what a great win for everybody's favorite underdog. It's always nice to see such a small little island country do well against the big dogs. But who knows? Maybe they'll finally be able to beat Iceland. <laughs> yeah, and staying with England, the Premier League will introduce thicker lines when evaluating potential offside infractions with VAR, which is you know so weird because I, for one, love the thinner lines. They're so great and objective in deciding whether or not a player is offside and doesn't lead to any controversy at all. Yeah, and going sticking with Europe, you know, Macedonian international Goran Pandev, legend at 37, became the second oldest goal scorer in the European Championship history. He's so old, he is literally older than North Macedonia, the country he plays for. What a player. What a player. And let's go on from a legendary player to a legendary manager, David Moyes. The Moisei himself has signed a three-year contract extension with the most massive club in the world, West Ham United. I can't wait to win the Europa League, Premier League, and the FA Cup, all while our owners hand Moyes a transfer budget of about two crumpled-up dollar bills in a pile of quarters. And moving over to South America, the Copa America is off to a very rough start as both members of the Venezuelan and Bolivian national team have caught COVID-19. Maybe hosting a tournament in the country with the second largest COVID death toll was a bad idea, couldn't possibly be it, though. Countries that are led by dictators always make good decisions. Yep, that was exactly one minute and 30 seconds. Ooh. Wow. Very impressive from us. We covered a lot of a variety of stories there. That is our news in 90. Let's go on to, well, I, I don't even know what to call this. This is usually we split off into our different individual segments. Jack just talks about the lower leagues. Obviously, most of the European lower leagues have wrapped up ahead of the Euro- European championships. So, Jack, what are we going to talk about this week? Well, we're going to kind of transition this into 
a, a lowdown on the Euros. Okay. And this is also going to include some lower league stuff that I wanted to quick talk about. Uh, first of all, a bit of a bit of a, a bit of a shout out, but I, I like jerseys. And <laughs> I took a chance on this company called Away Days uh, Football. Not and sponsored, but not sponsored. They it should sponsor us. <laughs> hashtag not sponsored, but could be. Yeah, please. exactly. Uh, but you know, it, it it they're a great company. Thirty bucks, you get a mystery kit. Uh, you can make some requests, but I I uh, I just said you know anything from the lower leagues in Europe, and I got this nice little Nottingham Forest kit that I'm yeah. wearing right now. So uh, the jerseys in my collection now account for clubs that have won in total, uh, I believe, six Champions Leagues, Dortmund, wow. Chelsea, and Nottingham Forest, both with two. Uh, I think Dortmund has two. They might have one, though. I, <laughs> I'm i kind of blanking on that. But either way, uh, you know, check them out. They're a really small company based out of Massachusetts. Highly recommend it. Really good shipping. They use first class shipping actually Whoa. as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, so if if you're looking for a way to grow a jersey collection, check them out. And uh, that uh, that brings me to the Euro lowdown because I just wanted to talk about some of the cool games that happened. Uh, starting with you know the opener, which happened on Friday, Turkey v Italy. We're going to talk about this a little bit more. A lot of people thought Turkey was going to make a lot of big waves, but that didn't really come to fruition against the Italians. I think a lot of people underestimated just how good Italy were yeah. after they failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. They won it 3-0, to zero, which is pretty impressive. As I said, we'll get to this a little bit later, but I also want to say Chelsea's Jorginho was the best in that midfield trio, just showing again and again why he's the best CDM in London. Uh, but moving on from that, we had Wales versus Switzerland, and a lot of people kind of wrote off Wales as like a club full of championship players, a.k.a. me, uh, who wrote yeah, them off. Me too. And yeah. yeah, and somehow they they ended up getting a draw against Switzerland after going down early in the for, in the second half uh, to a Briel and Bolo header. But Kiefer Moore came up big and scored a, a pretty fantastic header, I've got to say, so uh, to tie it up. So they, they started off their campaign on a pretty good note. Uh, of course, you know, with the Denmark and Finland game, uh, the Christian Eriksen incident will mm -hmm. always hang over this game. But we also should say, you know, congratulations to Finland for right. getting their first international victory in a big tournament like this. Like that, that is still a big deal for them. Maybe not in the circumstances they would have hoped for, but, you know, they, they, it, it, they still got it. But. Then we had the other match in Group B, Belgium v. Russia, and everyone loved to see Russia get battered 3-0. Yeah. to zero. Uh, And Lukaku, of course, bagging a brace, who I'm not sure. I, I, I don't think you joined uh, the, the, fan, uh, the Fantasy League with me yet, but no. I captained Lukaku. Wow, this, this, good job. So I, I actually made one good choice after <laughs> leaving Donnarumma and Insigne on the bench. Oh, no. So, uh, yeah, that, that wasn't a great choice, but otherwise, pretty cool. And then today... England beat Croatia, uh, getting revenge for a World Cup semifinal. And Austria beat North Macedonia. It didn't look like that was going to happen, but Marko Arnautovic and uh, Grilich, I don't remember his first name, came off the bench and really changed the game for Austria. Yep. Like it, I, I, I think like Arnautovic was the perfect super sub in this game. Yeah. And then we had our, the most exciting game of the Euros mm -hmm. so far which is the Netherlands versus Ukraine, which AJ definitely jinxed. Uh, yeah. he, the Netherlands went up two to, to zero, 
by the 60th minute, scoring two goals in seven minutes. Ukraine responded by scoring two goals in four minutes in half the time. And then Denzel Dumfries scored from a header that should probably not have gone in. Yeah. Uh, Tajan Bouchon should have probably done a little bit better. I, I think it's Tajan Bouchon. If it's Ron, sorry, Ukrainian fans, I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, uh, this probably should have been a, a draw for Ukraine. That was some bad defending at the end. AJ posted uh, about uh, Netherlands bottling the game. Yeah. Literally a minute before that header went in. Yeah. So my bad yeah. guys. So, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. He, he gave Frank DeBoer credit. That's the worst crime he could have done <laughs> right there. So, uh, but that, that's been what's happening in the Euros tomorrow. I, I'm actually most looking forward to the next days because my two teams are playing Slovakia and France are playing uh, tomorrow and Tuesday, respectively. I'm hoping Slovakia can prove AJ Ron and qualify out of this group or not get dead last. At least that's about it. That's all I'm asking for. And uh, France are going to start it off with a win. Of course, all, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the Euro lowdown, which is a temporary fixture for the next month. So we'll 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 see how that keeps going on. Yeah. And I'm I'm really excited because, you know, the Euros are just going to come in hot and heavy with the games and we're going to be here covering it. Jack's going to you know talk about all the different games, maybe not every single game, because that's going to be a lot by next week. But... Oh, yeah. By next week. No, I'm not covering every <laughs> game. But at least the, the big, most interesting moments of the tournament Let's go on to the U.S. Men's National Team Corner, which is my segment where I talk about one really big story with the U.S. Men's National Team. And as everyone knows, as I covered last week, uh, we won the Nations League and we beat Costa Rica in a friendly 4-0. And that kind of leaves a lot of questions on the table, such as who do we take to World Cup qualifiers this fall? You know, we're all very excited because we beat Mexico. That's our biggest opponent. We've beat all the, the, our three biggest CONCACAF opponents in the past window so you know who do we take and so i decided to make a tier list a u.s men's national team world cup qualifier importance tier list and just so everyone knows this isn't a tier list on how good a player is or uh, how their season went it's just on if we lose this player to injury how screwed are we or how talented is this player and how much do they add to the overall field so i'm going to start off with f tier but even though it's called f tier it doesn't mean that like these players are terrible. An F tier, well, I- I'll just say it. It's everyone else that's not listed on this, uh, on this tier list. And so even though they aren't mentioned right here, it doesn't mean that they can't eventually get onto our A team. It just means that they have a lot of work. So with that out of the way, let's get into the actual named tiers. We have the D tier. And for the players in the D tier, these guys can make the squad if they step it up this year. I, I feel like these guys are the bubble guys. These are like our 25 to 40 players, basically the, the players who can make our best 23 if they make a big move to a European team or they become very, very consistent in this next season. So I'll just name them off. Jossie Zardes, Julian Green, Luca Della Torre, Sam Vines, Eric Williamson, Sean Johnson, Tim Ream, Brian Reynolds, Uli Yanez, Conrad De La Fuente, Paul Ariola, Eric Palmer-Brown, Owen Otisoe, Johnny Cardoso, Sebastian Soto, Matthew Hoppe, and Miles Robinson. You might not know all of those names. And that makes sense because these are the players who are on the bubble. You aren't expected to know them because they aren't household names. But for, you know, the likes of Julian Green, uh, Uliana's Conrad De La Fuente, who could make some moves this summer. 
if they do well, they could move up to the C tier, B tier, A tier, what have you. Uh, speaking of that, let's go on to the C tier. This is where like our our top 23 starts to make shape. And these are the the players who, if we lose one of these guys, it kind of sucks. But really, the only thing that's really hurt is our depth. These guys are probably only going to be depth guys to begin with. I think of these guys as medium talent and high replaceability, meaning that we have a lot of replacements for them at higher or equivalent talent levels. Uh, a lot of these guys will be third choice players in their position. These are guys like Mark McKenzie, who's a center back. So is Matt Miazga. Uh, right back, DeAndre Yedlin, our uh, striker that's a dual national, PFOC, who was previously Siabachi, but he wants to be called PFOC. So, you know, we respect that. We respect that here. Uh, a third choice defensive midfielder, Jackson Ewell, might, I could bump him down to D tier, but I'll have him here. Uh, Jordan Morris, who is injured with an ACL tear, but he is still a great winger. Third choice or fourth choice, perhaps, but he's still up there. And David Ochoa, who is third or fourth choice goalkeeper. Those are guys who, if we lose them, it sucks, but we definitely could survive without them. B tier is where our really important players begin to show up. These are guys who, if we lose one of these guys, our depth is really hurt, but we could still probably do well. But overall, these are players who we should still do well with without, but they're at a position or they're at a talent level where replacing them becomes a lot harder they're medium talent and medium replaceability you look at guys like chris richards and aaron long who even though they're not the best center backs that we have available they are still you know better than a lot of our center back pool and so losing them it sucks we could still probably do without them but it would be really nice to have the likes of chris richards and aaron long which we unfortunately did not have this nation's league window and then uh daryl dk uh, Reggie Cannon, who is our backup right back. Kellen Acosta, who is our backup number six, at least for now. Sebastian Legette, which is a great utility number eight for us. And Tim Weah, who is probably not like the very, very first choice winger replacement, but he is uh, a very good replacement for if Christian Pulisic or Gio Reyna comes out. If we lose him, it sucks. We could still probably survive, but always, you know, with all these players, having them will always help. Next, we move on to A tier, and this is where it becomes really dicey if one of these players goes down to injury. If we lose one of these guys, our depth is significantly hurt, but we can still probably do well. This is like high talent and medium replaceability. It becomes a bit harder to replace them. I'm thinking stuff like Zach Steffen, Ethan Horvath. They're both kind of right now in like hypeness. They're still at similar levels, so... I couldn't really separate them. But you have Eunice Musa, Brendan Aronson, Anthony Robinson, and Josh Sargent. These are you guys either on the top of the depth chart or probably somewhere in the middle. So losing them would be a pretty big hit to our depth and our first choice 11. And then S tier. I'm going to go over the S tier in order of how I viewed this importance. We lose one of these guys. If you think about it, we're pretty screwed. We can still probably survive, but it comes a lot harder these guys are super high talent and low replaceability. It becomes very hard to find equivalent or higher talent than them. I'm beginning with Sergino Dest. We have some right backs, but he's obviously our best, both honestly left and right back. Gio Reyna and Weston McKenney, both wingers or midfielders who are very good, hard to replace them. Christian Pulisic is our game changer. Losing him would hurt so much. And then my top two, you could have him tied, John Brooks and Tyler Adams. There's... 
John Brooks and Tyler Adams are the best and probably the only real talent we have at their uh, positions at at defensive midfield and center back. Without them, it becomes a lot harder to dictate games and survive away games. So having them is so important. Losing them would hurt so much. We saw losing what losing Tyler Adams looked like in the Nations League window. Not great. John Brooks. I mean, he was not there when we lost to Trinidad and Tobago, if I remember correctly. So if that's any proof, then there you have it. I also forgot Matt Turner, which uh, being a Matt Turner stan, I should probably remember him. I'll put him in uh, C tier. There you go. He's still he's still a good goalkeeper. Uh, <laughs> that made it sound like I, I don't like him. I, I, I like him. I just think it that that's his level. That is my importance tier list. I'll probably do another one of these updates probably when World Cup qualifiers come around after the Gold Cup. But that's how I see our most important players and how they stack up. And that is it for the U.S. men's national team corner. Let's go on to our predictions segment. It's a game that we play to see who between Jack and I and if the guests want to play along too, which one of us is the best at predicting the biggest games in soccer Let's start with last week's predictions and the scores that we predicted. Jack, why don't you tell the listeners how the scoring system works? Yeah, well, you get 10 points for getting the winner correct, and then you get 20 points if you get the exact scoreline correct, which happens pretty rarely, to be fair. And then you get zero points, of course, if you get absolutely none of it right. And uh, it it might not have been relevant this week, but it probably will throughout the summer given all yep. the international tournaments, but you get five points if you get the winner right in a penalty shootout. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that happened with uh, Manchester United versus Villarreal. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm sure it's going to happen when we predict some of the knockout matches in the Copa America, Gold Cup, and the Euros. Let's start off with CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. This is Canada versus Suriname in the first round. What was thought to be a close matchup between two upstart national teams turned out to be an inhumane beat down at the hands of the Canadians. The story of the match, the Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David connection. The German and French league champions were the only names on the score sheet. They scored the only goals and they assisted each other. It's a truly dynamic duo that will be talismans for the Canadian national team for years to come. Davies scored a goal in the 37th minute and after halftime, we all expected Suriname to at least push for it and get an equalizer really start to grow into the game, but that didn't happen. And Jonathan, David, David, whatever you want to call him, scored a hat trick that ended up qualifying Canada to the second round of World Cup qualifiers with a 4-0 scoreline. Jack and I, maybe we we underestimated Canada, maybe we overestimated Suriname because we said uh, a 3-1 victory for me and a 2-1 victory for Jack. That gets us both 10 points, and... uh, I'll put this here. I will be covering CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers, the second round and first round, doing a summary of that next week. Let's go on to another uh, CONCACAF team, but this time it's the U.S. Women's National Team versus Portugal in an international friendly. As I predicted, this was a lethargic match against subpar opposition. The thing I didn't expect would be how off the team would be. Samantha U.S. scores a header off a corner while being completely unmarked, but other than that, it seemed like the USWNT just wasn't where they were even a year ago, even a couple months ago. It seems like there's been a bit of a regression. Rapino, Lloyd when she came on, Alex Morgan, all of them were kind of mid. 
Carly Lloyd even scored a goal but was offside, which kind of describes the quality of her game in the past year. She's still a legend, but that's just, that's just being honest. Beyond the poor game from the front three, Haran, Mewis, and Lavelle did fine in the midfield, but this team needs to be more structurally sound. There's just no cohesion, and that's been a complaint since the She Believes Cup. We both predicted a victory. I was very close to getting the right scoreline if uh, Lloyd stayed onside. It was 2-0. Uh, I got 10 points because it was 1-0. Jack, 3-0, and he gets 10 points as well. And I'll speaking of Jack, let's throw it over to him for the Turkey-Italy game. He said he would talk about it. Let's see if he can keep up his side of the bargain. Jack, the opener of the Euro tournament, what did you see? Yeah, well, after a frustrating first half, Italy showed their true selves with a dominant 3-0 win, which actually is their biggest ever win in the European Championships. Wow, are you serious? Uh, yeah, 3 to 0 is the biggest mm-hmm. win they've ever they've ever uh, created there. So, that that was pretty cool, but you know, they they were kind of frustrated in the first period. Not many shots on target and there was a Chiellini header that was brilliantly denied by uh the, the goalkeeper whose name I'm going to butcher, Sakir. I don't think I said that right, but it it was a very strange uh, first half because I thought there would be a goal on either end by that point, but it didn't stay long uh, at zero zero after that first half with Italy driving forward eight minutes in and uh, yeah, the first goal of the tournament ended up being an own goal for Demiral, which we praised him in our, pre- our in our preview and somehow he scored the first goal against his own country and after that, Immobile pounced 13 minutes later. Uh, of course, he was going to score. And then Lorenzo Insigne, who people were clowning on for being so short versus everyone <laughs> yeah. else in the Italian national anthem, uh, joking that the car that brought the ball out was his whip. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he had a brilliant goal, a goal of the, of the tournament contender, in my opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. A beautiful curling effort to make it 3-0. to zero. This, this was a fantastic match. And, yeah. Italy started out started out great, and AJ thought Turkey were going to stun the world, oh, stun Italy, no. and predicted two to one for his zero points. I didn't do much better though, as I predicted a two all draw and got zero points as well. Yeah, honestly, Immobile and Chiellini, men of the match for me. They, they were huge, both the both of them. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't really get the scoreline right there. <laughs> But maybe we did with uh, England versus Croatia. Hint, hint, we did. Uh, It was a 1-0 win to the English side. Southgate came out of the gates, benching both of his left backs, Chilwell, which I'm pretty sure Jack was kind of upset by, and Shaw for right back Kieran Trippier and started a really defensive double pivot in Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice. And I like Declan Rice. I was fine with that. Many people, including me, kind of did raise an eyebrow to this as it seemed like a very uninspiring lineup. However, right off the bat, England came out swinging. A little pun right there. I didn't even mean to do that. With Foden coming so close to a goal, just bouncing off the bar in the sixth minute. Calvin Phillips eventually found Raheem Sterling for a wonderful goal, and the only goal of the match. The last 30 minutes were kind of sluggish, and neither side really created anything. Like I predicted, Southgate's choices almost screwed England over, which kind of sounds harsh. Yes, they got their three points, but his fullback choices didn't add much to the game. And some of the attackers themselves have to do some major growing into the tournament before the Scotland game if they want to be more than just threatening, but actually dangerous. Still a good team, though. I think they're going to do really great. I had them in the final, so I think they're going to do 
completely fine. I said 1-0. Yeah, I got it completely correct for 20 points. Jack said this would be a more open game, 3-1 for 10 points. And full disclosure, we are recording this before the Brazil and Venezuela game concludes. So because we're recording this uh, right now at halftime, uh, Brazil has scored thanks to Marquinhos' goal. I'm going to now give it to future AJ to take over to explain what happened toward the rest of the game and our scores for that. All right. Thank you, past AJ. It's future AJ. Just watch the, the Brazil-Venezuela game. And I just got to say, we mentioned Marquinhos scored in the first half, but even before then, this game was over. As we mentioned, Venezuela are kind of going through a COVID outbreak, kind of COVID scare. They have lost a good amount of their players and staff. They have, I believe, only seven players on the bench. You can have a total of 23 players in your match day squad. They only have 18, so they have five just empty slots due to that COVID outbreak. And it's pretty clear from the outside of this match that Brazil did not have to go above first gear in order to take care of Venezuela. Marquinhos in the 23rd minute off of a corner scored a goal, kind of disorganized, kind of just random. He kind of uh, fell on the ball and it went in, but you know, a goal is a goal. Marquinhos scores that to make it 1-0. In the second half, in the 64th minute, his PSG teammate, the legendary Neymar, converts a penalty to make it 2-0. And Neymar plays a role in the third and final goal of this match. Uh, He assisted a a wonderful cross to Gabriel Barbosa of Flamengo in the Brazilian League. They make it a 3-0. And because of that, I get 20 points because I guessed 3-0. Jack guessed 4-0, so he gets 10 points. Overall, this was all Brazil all the time. Just completely dominated the match from the get-go. 18 shots to 3, 14 chances created to 62% of possession to 38%. Yes, so uh, I'm going to mention how we don't know the score of the overall uh, prediction segment. I won 60 to 40. Jack got 40. I got 60. So congrats to me and back to past AJ. All right, thank you, future AJ. Uh, since we, <laughs> since we don't know the <laughs> score, I guess I can't really say it. But it's either a tie... If you get exactly right at 4-0 or it's me winning. Jack, how did you feel about this week's predictions? Oh, uh, it, it, it was not as good as I was hoping. Yeah. I, did, I, I should have seen that Southgate was going to sabotage himself. Should have seen it. Yeah. Well, you, know, you live and you learn. I think this week's predictions are going to be exciting. I either got the tie or the win, so I'm happy no matter what. I'm hoping to keep this ball rolling to prove that I am the better predictor than my co-host Jack. Let's okay. start off for next week's predictions. We got a lot of European Championship games because now we're, it, the games are coming hot and heavy. We're starting off with you know a really really great team in France. I did that joke last hey, week. I'm sorry. Hey, <laughs> hey, you can't disrespect France like that. Let let me take this one first I because will, this I is will. my team. Uh, so you know in in the Nations League, that's the most recent a tournament that these two have played in. France. Ended up getting 16 out of 18 points, not losing a single game. Germany got 9 out of 18. They, they only won 2 and drew 3 and lost 1, and that loss was 6-0 to zero against Spain. S- Germany has been struggling for a little while recently, I- I've noticed. They, sure, they beat Latvia 7-1, to one, 
but their old guard is getting very old. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they're, they're looking a little bit more vulnerable every year they compete. And ultimately, France are just on really good form. They're, they're doing really well. And in, in the preseason, back-to-back 3-0 to zero wins. Germany, you know, they had the 7-1, and then uh, I think they drew as well, if, if, I'm remem- if my memory is serving me correctly. But they've also had a very recent loss to North Macedonia, which shows just how vulnerable they can be against anyone. And plus, France, they, they might have had a rough start to World Cup qualifying, but Conte is back to full fitness. I, I'm, I'm giving it to France. I, I, you can say bias, as, as always, but Not I'm saying 2-0 to zero for France, because I, I'm believing. Allez le bleu, ramenez le coupe à la maison, you know? All right, well, <laughs> let's see if I agree with you. Because this is a very big match. France hasn't lost to Germany since the 2014 World Cup. Since beating him in the Nations League and the last Euros. The thing that I keep on coming back to when I'm thinking about this match is Germany's attack. Yes, on paper they have a strong uh, attack. They, you mentioned they beat Latvia 7-1. But they also drew to Denmark. They only beat Romania 1-0. They lost to North Macedonia, as you said. And I'm surprised you didn't mention this. They lost to Spain. Six right. nil. I didn't. I didn't mention. Okay, that. I'm sorry. I did. <laughs> I, 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 I was. I, I was so engrossed in how bad Germany can be sometimes that I completely forgot. But when you have a front four of um, maybe like Mueller, Havertz, Werner, and Nabry or Sane, where where do the goals come from? Is my question because it's not like any of those uh, attacking options are guaranteed outputs that you can like really point to uh, on the French team like uh, Giroud or Benzema for example or Mbappe or Mbappe exactly like there's so many on the French team not so much like inherent goal scoring output threats on the German side but it is going to be in Munich right so I believe so I I, I don't know I don't know like there could be some home field advantage there at the end of the day I don't think it's going to be a super open game so I I kind of chickened out. I said it was going to be a 1-1 draw between France and Germany, the, uh, the two previous world champions. I, I, I just want the differential. I, I just want to kind of okay, shake things okay. up. So hopefully they draw. Let's go on to Denmark versus Belgium. We did choose this match before Christian Eriksen, unfortunately, went down with a cardiac arrest. But still, we are still predicting this match. It's going to be... I don't know. It's going to be a very hard match to predict. So I'm going to give it to Jack first because I, I need to think about this a little bit more. Jack, how do you see Denmark versus Belgium playing out? Yeah, well, I, I actually looked to recent history for this because they actually played each other in the most recent nation. That is league. true. Yeah. And Belgium won four to two and two to zero uh, both times. Like, I, I mean, they came out they came out on aggregate six to two winners. And here the thing is, Belgium look really good Lukaku was great uh, uh Lukaku was great in that game Thomas Mounier was great Torgan Hazard as well the fit Hazard you know mm-hmm. uh other other than Eden Hazard Ugh, still sad about that mm-hmm. but uh yeah Bel- Belgium looked good but we have to remember it was against Russia and they have injury problems lining up Kevin De Bruyne I believe is still going to be out for this game and uh who it was Timothy Castagna yep. who came off injured in that match in the 20th minute that that doesn't spell good news for Denmark. But then again, Denmark are, do have one really big gaping hole with Christian Eriksen likely 
not going to be fit to play at least for the second match day. Uh, but you know, I, 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 I back, I, I, lo- I, I really like Denmark as a team, but ultimately I think Belgium are just a little bit too good with Lukaku up top and I'm going to go Denmark one, Belgium two. All right. All right. I have a very similar scoreline. I have two nil to Belgium. I don't know how much attack Denmark can come up with without, uh, unfortunately, Christian Eriksen. I mean, you have Hoiberg maybe can he missed the penalty, so it's not like he's... Uh, Braithwaite. Come on. Braithwaite. Yeah, I mean, you, you have Braithwaite. I don't know if they have, like, I mentioned this in uh, our Euro deep dive. I don't know if they have a lot of game changers, especially without Christian Eriksen, that can really lift them up past where they were. So I'm going with a 2-0 win for Belgium. Unfortunately, I, I, I just see Belgium with their recent game against Russia just really hammering at home against Denmark so that's how I see it let's go on to a big rivalry match England versus Scotland I'll take this one first off England did beat Croatia recently one to nil Scotland we don't know what their match is going to look like with uh, Czech Republic we're recording this on Sunday uh, so we don't know how that's going to go so we can't really predict on that side of things, but we can look at history. Did you know that England is ahead of this uh, rivalry matchup by like seven games? And this match is so important, both in the context of this tournament and for this relatively close rivalry. I'm tempted to say it'll be a conservative win, but let's also contextualize this given the first match day. England are confident. They arrested both Grealish and Sancho, so they have plenty of uh, confidence and... uh, Confidence that they'll can go out comfortably and play their own game, especially that their uh, hardest match is now out of the way. For that reason, I think it's going to kind of open things up and that'll leave England, the more technically talented of the two teams, to come in and dominate for a 2-1 win. Jack, how do you see this match playing out? Ooh, well, it's a little tough because I, I do like Scotland as a team. I really do. I don't think they're terrible. But the thing is, like, England are very good. However, they have not been fantastic. Sure, they've pulled off wins over Austria, Romania, and Croatia, but all of those were only 1-0. They pulled off a 2-1 win against Poland. Their biggest win recently has been 5-0 against San Marino, who haven't won in, like, 300 years, it feels like. (laughs) At the same time, they've lost to Belgium, lost Mm -hmm. to Denmark, in, in the Nations League, you know, and drew against Iceland in, in the Nations League. Like, they are not at their best. And a lot of that comes down to Southgate being his own worst enemy in his selections. True. He took two quality leftbacks, one, uh, like, uh, one of which won the Champions League, one of which was runner-up in the Europa League, and benched them both to play a right-back as left-back. That, that is, uh, he, his decisions just baffle me so, so often. And... Because of that, I, I think that he might he might sabotage himself and Scotland have some good game changers. You know, John McGinn in the midfield who controls it well. Billy Gilmore, who's an upcoming talent in there. Uh, and, you know, I'm backing them to get a draw out of this one. Okay. I'm going for a 1-1 draw because of Gareth Southgate being his own worst enemy. Really, that, that's what does it for me. All right. I, I was thinking about that too. Then I thought this is going to be at Wembley Stadium. 
Uh, like, I, I, I don't know if Scotland's ready for that, but... It's, pr- it's pretty close to Scotland, you know? It's I mean, not yeah. too far. <laughs> it's in the same country, technically. All right, well, Scotland fans will kind of get mad at you for saying that, even though it is partially I know, true. I know, I'm sorry, Scotland. <laughs> Let's go on to another rivalry, this time in the Copa America, if the Copa America does actually happen. This is Argentina versus Uruguay in the Copa America group stage. Argentina will play Chile tomorrow at the time of recording, which is uh, tomorrow's going to be Monday. So we don't know what's going to happen there. However, regardless of what happens in that game, Uruguay have a bye for the first match day. Their first Copa America game is this one against Argentina. That's a lot of rest. And in the lead up in the Copa America, Uruguay have had two nil-nil draws against Venezuela and Paraguay. Argentina had a toothless draw against Chile, 1-1, and a choked 2-0 lead draw 2-2 with Colombia. Neither side looks particularly great. So I really looked at their game changers or the kind of X factors in this match. For me, Argentina, it comes down to Lotaro Martinez on uh, Argentina's attacking side. As Argentina too often rely on Messi, he's going to be key to diversifying their attack. For Uruguay, I'm going to look at Bentancur, Torreira, and Valverde, who need to control the midfield and connect with Cavani and Suarez. Their forwards have the finishing ability. It's all about getting them touches, as we saw with their two 0-0 draws. And that all starts with the midfield. If you can't connect the two sides of the field, attack and defense, nothing's going to happen. Honestly, like, I'm going with the easy way out. I'm, I'm going with another draw between uh, these two teams. They've been drawing the past two matches. I might as well continue that trend. This is too much of an important match for these teams to go balls to the wall. I'm going with a 1-1 draw. Jack, are, did, you didn't go with a draw, did you? I, I, went, for, I went for the same scoreline. I have a okay. 1-1 draw as well because, yeah, they, they, they draw. But you know what? I'll up it to a 2-2 draw okay. just, fair, just fair. for the drama, you know? Uh, yeah, these teams, you know, they, they actually played... Uh, the last time they played was in 2019. So right. the teams have changed a lot. But at the same time, they both seem to be draw merchants at, the, at, this, <laughs> at this point in time. Like, uh, Argentina rely too much on Messi, Messi, and Uruguay rely too much on Suarez. And it hurts them both. And because of that, I, I, I just think they're going to draw again for, for the third time running. So 2-2 two, two for me. All right. All right. Well, let's finish this off with not an international match, but actually an MLS match. LA Galaxy versus Seattle Sounders. Uh, Jack, I'll let you begin this one and I'll close it out. What do you think about this West Coast rival matchup? Well, both of these teams are on good form. You know, uh, LA Galaxy, third place, uh, five wins, two losses. Seattle Sounders, though, are even better. They are first place in MLS and, you know, have pulled off a pretty impressive record despite some injury concerns. You know, they they. Actually, I I almost forgot this. They haven't lost yet this season. Yeah, they haven't lost yet. And honestly, I don't see that changing. Uh, LA Galaxy have been good, but one of the two teams they've lost to was Seattle Sounders, three to zero, in fact. Yep. And you know, while the Seattle team is a little bit weaker with injuries and su- and such, they had injuries then too. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I I just don't think LA are going to win this one. I I just I just don't see it happening. Uh, and because of that, I'm going zero 
to two for the Ooh, Seattle Sounders. A, a nice little away clean sheet for Seattle Sounders. Yeah, I, I think so. This is the way I see it. As we speak, you know, these two teams are in the top three in the West. Galaxy are on good form at home, winning every match so far this season. And Seattle are undefeated away. So it's an unstoppable force meets an unmovable object. But here's the situation. LA Galaxy's defense still isn't great. It hasn't been great in so many years. They only have two clean sheets and have a goal difference of just zero. Meanwhile, Seattle have five clean sheets and a goal difference of 11. Seattle is talented with or without the ball, attack, or defense. Most importantly, I think this is the biggest X factor for people to understand. Seattle's main guy, Raul Rui Diaz, did not get called up for, the, for Peru in the Copa America. He and Chicharito on LA Galaxy side are the two front runners for the golden boot. So the fact that they have you know, two very good goal scorers evens it out. Without Rui Diaz, I think Seattle might be in a disadvantage here. But now they're pretty evenly matched when you look at all things considered. But the thing that's separating them is the defense. LA Galaxy's is just not good. Even at home, I think they're going to fall. And I, I love Seattle Sounders and Galaxy matchups, so I want a really entertaining match. I'm going with a 3-2 to two win for Seattle Sounders, which obviously, if you know us, that means it's going to be a nil-nil draw. <laughs> but those are our predictions. Jack, how are you feeling about your predictions? We have two major differences in two pretty big games. Do you yeah, think you're right? I, I think I am. I, I think I think uh, I, I'd back Gareth Southgate to mess things up more than I, I, I back. Uh, I, I think Didier Deschamps will mess things up for France. So, you know, that I, I'll take it. All right. All right. Whatever. Whatever. We'll see who's laughing this time next week. Jack, do you, you have will. anything to say to our listeners as we close out another episode of the Final Third podcast? Well, as always, make sure to check out our Twitter at Final Third Show. Instagram is the same exact thing, Final Third Show. Uh, maybe watch AJ jinx more games in real time. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, keep, keep an eye out on there for, you know, fun things, updates on bracket challenges, yeah. on predictions and stuff like that. And other memes you know fun fun times over yeah. over on the final third twitter you you can watch jack meltdown if jack if uh france ends up losing any of the group stage matches because uh, not gonna happen <laughs> jack did not gonna happen jack I, I will remind before we close out this episode jack did predict nine points for france in the group stage so if that doesn't happen all right all that's right. it well that's as always guys Follow us on whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on Spotify, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts. Leave a rating and a review. Tell a friend about the show. Tell your dad even. I'm sure he would love to hear all about our takes on the Euros, all of our hot takes. And yeah, we'll see you guys this Thursday for a deep dive episode, whatever that may be. And we'll see you guys same time, same place next week for our news and prediction episode. See ya. Bye for now.